your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8 in your Bibles, and we're continuing on in our series that we finished, that we, we were working on last year on the rise in leadership of Samuel. Now we're moving on, well, it's in 1 Samuel, we're now moving on to the rise in leadership of Saul, okay? So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So I'm going to read verse, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to read verse 1 to 9 and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says here in verse 1, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Then the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons <coughs> walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. And they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they... So they also unto thee. So do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, have be it yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. First Samuel chapter eight, verses one to nine. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the time we can be in your word. I pray to speak to our hearts. Lord, let us have your heart. Let us learn from Saul. Let us learn from Samuel. And I know this chapter is about the rise of Saul, but Lord God, I I do, as we look at Samuel and look at how he deals with the people, please give us great wisdom. Help us learn some biblical principles. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Minister to us. And teach us to be more like Jesus in your precious name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at the call for a king in chapter 8. The call for a king. Now Samuel was old and his sons were in Beersheba. Beersheba means well of an oath. And it was where Abraham dug a well. Let's go to Genesis chapter 21. Keep your marker there in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Genesis chapter 21 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 21 and verse. Do you know, maybe I'll just pass this out to someone. Who wants to read Genesis chapter 21, verse 27 to 31, those five verses? Genesis 21. Okay, John, read those. Genesis 21, verse 20, uh, 27 to 31. Sorry, Genesis chapter 21. Verse 27. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Aaron, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Eden. Sorry, I, I didn't want to present specific, but not Genesis 21 there. Verse 27. Oh, and, Abraham, and Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech. And both of them 
made the convent. And Abraham set, said that he down to the folk of themselves. And Adam and Lech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven lands which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven lands shall thou take of my hand, that they may be a will, a witness unto me as I have digged this land. Wherefore he called that place. Beer Sheba, because there they swore both, both of them. You know, when they dug wells back then, they'd argue and fight over who owns the well. And so this was a covenant well, if you like, for Abraham. So Abraham, it was a well of an oath. So that's what Beer Sheba means, a well of an oath. Look, I promise this is my well type of thing, you know? So he made a covenant with Abimelech there to protect his well. It was his place of blessing where Abraham dwelt after he offered up Isaac. That's in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 to 19. We won't read that this morning. And it was the inheritance God gave to the tribe of Judah, this place called Beersheba. It was this inheritance that God gave to Judah, according to Joshua chapter 15, though technically then it fell into Simeon's territory. And if you take a look at, map of, at the map of Israel, Judah is down south, and Simeon is sort of like in the middle of Judah, okay? So it was the southern part of the apportionment of Israel, according to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now we won't take a look at all those verses this morning. So Samuel's two sons were here in a place called Beersheba, just giving you a little bit of background to that. <coughs> His two sons were purposely named. Joel means Jehovah is God. El is God. Joe for Jehovah. Jehovah is God. And Abiah means Father God. Okay, Father God. So unfortunately, neither son lived up to his name. Look at verse 3. It says, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre. What's lucre? Money. money. So they, they sought money. They were in it for the money and took bribes and perverted judgment. It's unfortunate when people who are in position abuse that position, isn't it? You know, the Bible tells us to honor those in authority. But it's a struggle to honor those who abuse their position, isn't it? I think we all can relate to that. So, unfortunately, neither son lived up to his name, and his, nor, nor did they live up to their rearing or, or to Samuel's instruction. Now, why do you think, time to think now, why do you think that such a godly man like Samuel was unable to raise a godly seed? There's lots of reasons. But why do you think such a godly man like Samuel was unable to raise a godly seed? Could have busied himself with things of God, like doing things for God, praying, seeking people. Just took his eyes off his own family. Took his eyes off his own family, right? Okay, somebody else. That's really important, okay? What was stated there was really important. We're going to get back to that. Why else do you think a godly man like Samuel could not, did not seem to be able to raise up godly sons? I think um, they are all part of their children, uh, the they are not adults and they have their own right. Why? So they choose, they choose the fight they want to live because they grown up in somewhere, whatever that, or when they are still a, what they are the first thing they are called from adulthood. So they just make their choice or deliberately rebel yes. against God because not that they don't, they know all these things and they don't just want to follow They have free will, right? Absolutely. They exercise their free will to rebel. 
Why, why? Why else? Anybody else? Why do you think a godly man like Samuel was unable to raise a godly seed? What, what, what happened there? There's some other reasons. So these reasons mentioned already are really important, and we will continue to talk about them, but there are more reasons, I think. Can we think about Samuel's background? What do we know about Samuel's background? He was influenced by Eli. He was influenced by Eli. Or Eli sounds like. So, you know, it's a lot harder to raise your children from the Lord when you don't have anybody in front of you as an example. Would you agree with that? It's like, well, how do I do this? You know, and when you have a good example before you, I mean, uh, the wise person will say, and if the wise person is struggling, will say, okay, what are you doing? How can I learn from you? Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can apply that to anything. So you're struggling with a job. You talk to somebody who's doing well in their job. You, you're struggling with people. You struggle. With, you talk to people who are good with people. Whatever, you know, whatever the situation may be, you're, you're seeking advice. Who did Samuel have? Fair, fair, fair point? Eli. Not a good example. Eli's sons were wicked. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Samuel's sons were wicked. It just says that they weren't like him. Eli's sons, it was quite, quite the contrary. It was said that Eli's sons were actually wicked. They were really bad, bad kids, bad people. Sons of Belial. That's a strong term, isn't it? Son of Belial. What's a son of Belial mean? What's Belial mean? Yeah, we're the child of the devil. That's exactly what it is. Worthless child of the devil. That's exactly what it is. That's quite a strong statement. So that was Samuel's. So all the things were mentioned, but I want to add to that, that Samuel didn't have that in, in example in front of him. Now, I want to mention, I want to build upon some of the other things that were said. Samuel's ministry was his life. Would you agree with that? He gave everything to his ministry. And we desperately need more people like Samuel today. Would you agree with that? Samuel made a massive impact in the society. He saw revival. He saw people turn to the Lord. He, he, he stirred people up to seek the God of Israel again. Tremendous impact. Would you agree with that? Great man of God. But he didn't get it right with his family. Okay? Samuel was not like Abraham. Somebody read Genesis chapter 18 verse 19. I was just looking at this today, and I, I want to make a comment on it. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. Actually, I wasn't looking at this verse today, but I was looking at verses that were close to it. Who wants to read that for me? Genesis 18, verse 19. I'll read it. Okay, Mary, go ahead. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of. So the Lord says, this is the Lord's commentary on Abraham. I know him that he will command his family after him, okay, his children after him. Now, how did the Lord make that comment? How was the Lord able to make that commentary? Because um, Abraham talked about Eliezer. Remember hearing Eliezer? Eliezer was who? Yeah, he was a servant of Abraham. But the Bible says he was born in Abraham's house. So it seems to me that Abraham took Eliezer under his wing and treated him almost like a son. Do you understand though he wasn't a son? And according to the culture back then, if you don't have children, then the servant born into your house becomes your heir. That was the culture. 
you understand what I'm saying? And so that's why Abraham said, um, when in Genesis chapter 15, when the Lord appeared unto Abraham, uh, Abraham said, and, and, and uh, the Lord says to Abraham, I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. Abraham said, Lord, well, what do you give me since um, I have no heir and he that is born in my house is my heir. And talk about Eliezer, okay? So, but, but Abraham had proven himself as, as in a fatherly role, though he didn't have his own children, with what he did with Eliezer. But Samuel didn't have that role model. He didn't have that role model. Now, there is a mentality for some people in the ministry, or some people doing God's work, that they'll say, you know what, if I take care of God's work, then God will take care of my family. What's, now that is, was very prevalent in the 1970s. Very, very common. And there was a lot of fallout because of that. Does anybody want to comment on that? There was a mentality in the 70s that in the 1970s, some of you were like, oh, that was, it, like a, that was like in the dark ages. No, it wasn't quite the dark ages, okay? Some of us were, were born in that year. But, but there was a mentality that, 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 that preachers and people in the ministry would have, if I take care of God's work, then he'll take care of my family. And maybe Samuel thought that, thought that way. Does anybody want to make a comment on that? Some of you want to. Go ahead. But we have a responsibility for our children. We have a responsibility. We can't just expect God to do what we should be doing for ourselves, right? Is that fair enough? Somebody else want to comment on that? If I take care of God's work, he'll take care of my family. Yes. It's not my scripture. Okay. Where do we find that in the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody else. What happens in a family with children when, when, when parents think, I take care of God's work, he'll take care of my children? What happens with the children? Kids get bitter. Yes, they do. Why? What was that? They were, the parents were never around because they're too busy. Why else? Well, we don't know whether the, the, the what's called the wife is around because in, in those days, the pastor, they get busy and they get complete. They put the responsibility on their wife. Right. They complete housewife. Yeah. In those days, anyway, they would be complete housewife. So, and, and then maybe they put the trust into their wife. Can I comment on that? They, I agree with you completely. In the old days, the dad would work and work, and he'd work up from sun up to sun down, kiss the kids goodnight, and, and he wouldn't spend a lot of time with them. And, and, and the day of rest, on the Sabbath rest, he, that's the time he catch up with his family. That was the old days. They wouldn't see the father one end of the week to the other because he was out working. And the mother would be at home. But in the ministry, very often the wife is almost as much involved as the husband is in the ministry. So where is the mother? Who raises the kids? So I want you to give, have this understanding. I don't know what happened in Samuel's home, but I know what happened in the 1970s. And we had a generation of people who, who, who were raised up in pastor's homes who were rebellious because their parents were never there. Does that make sense? So we can see what happens. Now, that doesn't just happen in the ministry. Our society is driven that way. You need a job. No job, no food. If a man will not work, neither should he need. But if you want to get a mortgage, she needs to work as well. Then you get a certain standard of living. And, uh, and then you, you, you want to maintain that standard of living, I mean, right? So then both, I've seen so many wives start off saying, I want to be at home with my children. And then when they're used to standard of living, they wouldn't go back. 
so many times. But who gets left behind? Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's the whole thing. We want to make sure we never leave our children behind. We make sure that we're there for our children. That's the most important thing. And that got missed in, in Samuel's life. And I'm not going to criticize Samuel. Brethren, there's no word of condemnation for Samuel in the Bible. So I'm not going to stand here and condemn Bible, Samuel that the Bible doesn't condemn him. But I will say this. He didn't have a proper role model in Eli. Would you agree with that? And uh, so I, I, think that, I think that's a sad thing. I think we can learn from that. I think I'd rather learn from... When it comes to the family, I'd rather learn from, from Abraham than I would from Samuel. Would you agree with that? Okay. And by the way, parenting is never done. Can I hear an amen for that? <laughs> when we were in the 40s, my, my, my in-laws would always, we still call us the kids. And we called Josiah, he's a kid. He's 22, but he's a kid. He's always going to be my kid. You know, sort of way, it's just the way it is. But anyway, let's, let's go back on, on this and talk about this a little bit more. So Samuel was a man of God. But he didn't train his children in the way that he should, in the way that they should go. He didn't have their hearts. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. Who wants to read that for me, please? <laughs> Proverbs 23, verse 26. I need someone to grab that verse for me and read it for me, please. Brother Paul, why don't you read it? Because I... You put up your hand and somebody else said, I'll read it. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to you. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. My son, give thy heart and let thy eyes observe my ways. Okay. So, um, Solomon wrote this, probably the words of David. My son, give me thine heart. Okay. Now, what will it take for you to get the heart of your children? Now, you don't have to say anything. I'm just asking the question. What will it take? That's what you do. That's what you do. And there's nothing, and I've said to you before, and I'm going to say it again. If I lose my children, I lose my ministry. And I've said to you before, and I'm going to say it again. I put my children first, my family first, before the ministry. Because if I lose my family, I lose my ministry. My family is my ministry. My family will either make or break my ministry. And I'm going to mention this in, 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 uh, in, in Sunday school, or in the main service again. Josiah wants to come back to Ireland and be a pastor in Ireland because we put hours and hours and hours of effort into it. And you know, that's worth it. Preachers are gold dust. In fact, I would say that preachers are worth more than their weight in gold these days. More than it. And here's the reason why. Because you can't find them anywhere. And I'm going to mention this in the main service again. But, but the thing is, there's a church in Ireland that has no pastor and there's no one on the side. There's no one. The church may well close down. A lack of leadership. A lack of, of men being raised up. So preachers are gold dust. And I want us to think about this. The, the, series of, uh, the um, theme of this year is I will build my church. And how can Christ's church be built in Lucan or in somewhere else in the Dublin or somewhere else down the country? How can his church be built if we don't have pastors to do the work of the ministry? Would you agree with that? So we've got to have a different mentality towards this. We'll talk about this in the main service. Uh, but, but, um, so we need Samuels. We need Samuels. But we, we need Samuels to be Abrahams with our children. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so perhaps Samuel, I'm just going to throw this out there. Perhaps Samuel made up for his lack of parenting by giving his children position. 
and parents can do that sometimes out of guilt when they're not there for their children they will give gifts to them right and they'll say we'll make it up for you at christmas we'll make it up for you on the holidays do you understand what i'm saying not great now sometimes we do do it anyway and it's, i'm not saying it's wrong but it won't make up for the time we don't spend with them does that make sense our children need us the greatest gift you can ever give your children is you they need you Okay. And that's really important for whatever reason Samuel didn't have that. I, I don't know the ins and outs. Again, I'm not going to condemn him, but I'm just going to comment on it a little bit. Okay. So, but this giving of position to Samuel's sons didn't help him one little bit because it says here in verse 4 that all the elders in Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. People didn't want Samuel's sons because they didn't want the Lord. Okay. So let me just comment here. Even the greatest men of God, and Samuel was one of the greatest men of God there was, even the greatest men of God are flawed. Okay? And so we see this in God's man here. Now, it seems what Samuel's failure ultimately became a stumbling block to the whole nation. Now, why would I say that? I've just read it. Why would Samuel's, stomach, Samuel's failure become a stomach block to the whole nation? We just read it in verse 5. Because even the, 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 children, the, children of God, sorry, the children of Israel to depart from God from being their leader. Right. To choose king to be like right. They wanted a king. They didn't want theocratic rule any, anymore. Now what's theocratic rule? What's, what's a theocracy? God. God, God, God is ruling. Okay, now, um, so Samuel was leading a theocracy. Okay, he was God's prophet, and his sons should have been raised to help Israel continue in a theocracy, but they didn't. And because of that, um, now God doesn't blame Samuel. Again, God doesn't blame Samuel for this. He blames the people. But I want you to see. I, I, I'm trying to put some pieces together. There is there is a correlation here. Wouldn't you agree? For that now. Is there a lesson here for us regarding praying for the children of people in the ministry? What do you think? Do you think that the children of pastors and missionaries need double prayers? Yeah. Yeah. Just give me some encouragement when we're praying for our missionaries. <laughs> Brother Leighton Kelly is one of, our, one of our favorite missionaries. We say that about all our missionaries. We love our missionaries. We pray for their children. Fervently be praying for their children and all the missionaries you pray for pray for their children because we want to avoid more casualties like what Samuel had, okay? Now, I wonder was Samuel offended that the people of Israel rejected his sons? The Bible doesn't indicate But how could they want covetous judges replacing Samuel? Fair point? Okay, so we can see some village in what they're saying Perhaps he thought them ungrateful for all he had done for them but he didn't have a clear plan, and his sons were not the clear plan. I suppose he thought God could raise up other judges if Israel would just wait for him to do so. Do you think that's possible? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, so they were so turned off by Samuel's sons that they didn't want any more judges. Okay. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying this is what was going on. And to be honest with you, um, there, there were some things going on in the nation of Israel that weren't right. But one thing is clear. Samuel was a sold-out believer who gave his heart and soul for the work of God in his generation. And he was a blessed refreshment to his generation, a bright light in the midst of darkness, because um, 
But because he didn't save enough for his family, it only lasted one generation. So what I can say is, praise God for what Samuel did in his generation. It would have been fantastic if that could have continued on. You with me here? Okay, that's what I want to make mention of. Now here's a lesson. Potentially everything you achieve can be lost in one generation. That's actually sobering to think about. Because we want what we do to continue on, right? Right? Am I, am I right? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. Yeah? We all want what we, we, want what we, we do to continue on. That so that can happen then financially. You know, one, one man's riches can be lost by the next generation. It can happen emotionally. One man's emotional stability can be lost in the next generation. It can happen spiritually. And that we're on fire for God, but for whatever reason, that's not passed on to the children. We see that a lot with the nation of Israel. Do you notice that? Like a whole generation will get on fire for God, but it's not passed on to the children. And there's some lessons there that we can think about. Okay? So I, um, I'm not going to comment on that too much, but I'm just making mention those things can happen. So, but here's the question. How can we avoid losing everything we have labored for in this generation? How can we avoid that? How can we make sure it's passed on to the next generation? What are your thoughts? Whether it be emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, whatever. How can we avoid what we our labor has been lost in one generation? Bring it home. Live it at home. Okay. Somebody else? That's good. What was that? Have the children involved. Have the children involved, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know, sometimes I see parents, and I don't know who, but let, let me throw out this for example. Maybe you clean the church. Have your children involved in cleaning the church with you, and let them know, isn't that a blessing to serve the Lord? Do you understand what I'm saying? So we let, let the children know, don't send your children off to do it. Well, you know, I'm going to sit down and let the kids, or don't do it for them. Okay, these are two different extremes. But do it with them and serve the Lord together. Guess what we're doing? We're going to have all church soul winning starting off next month on a Sunday. After the service, we'll have a meal together. Then we're going to go out there and we're going to pass out leaflets. And this is going to be real easy because... And we're doing up these flyers, they're invitations to church. So you're not, you don't have to go witness the people on the door. Just knock on the door, give them an invitation, say, we'd love to have you come down. That's all you have to do, real simple. Okay, invitations, everything's on the leaflet. So we're, we're going to start doing that once a month. And get your family involved. And when you serve the Lord, brethren, you let your family know, isn't it a privilege to serve the Lord? Isn't it a joy? Wasn't that great? Do you understand what I'm saying? Bring them along. Well, now, if you don't feel that, obviously you can't lie. But the point is that... Uh, bit of humor? Okay, it's okay. But the point is that, <laughs> that... But if you're enjoying serving the Lord, let your children know how much you enjoy it. Bring them along. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's best to look beyond uh, and look to extend your influence to many generations. Let's grab a principle from Proverbs 13.22. Proverbs 13.22. Who wants to read that for me? Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now obviously you think about financial inheritance, but is there not a spiritual inheritance? Yes. 
Are there other inheritances we can pass on? Like emotional stability, all these type of things, because we live in a world that's emotionally broken. Okay, but can't we can't we pass on a good inheritance, whatever it is, whatever God has given us, we should then use it for good. Okay, verse six. But the thing, what thing? The calling for a king displeased Samuel when they said, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. So no matter what he was thinking, Samuel responded as he always did. How does Samuel always respond? Always went to God. What a blessing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't that what the son says? And what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Remember your privilege of prayer. Don't 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 forget about it. And as as I, as I have in the notes here, some when, when things go wrong, some people go to the Facebook, other people go to the internet, other people go to the office, other people go to the gym. Samuel didn't go to a crutch, he went to the Christ. Okay? He went to the Lord. So we need to learn when things go wrong in our lives or when we're devastated, we need to learn to go to the Lord. Okay. Now, verse 7 says here, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Samuel, you really messed up with your family. And if you didn't mess up with your family, Israel didn't, would, wouldn't be at this point. Did the Lord say that? Aren't you glad the Lord didn't say that? Okay, because that gives us encouragement. Because when we mess up, we don't want the Lord throwing it in our faces, do we? Even though sometimes we may feel we deserve it. God is not like that. God is gracious, right? Samuel, the Lord, you know, brethren, we can say, we can trace um, cause and effect. If I don't think differently, then maybe my children would do this. Or if I don't differently, then this group of people would do this. I want to tell you something. People are responsible for their own failures. Now, I understand if we think did things differently, there might be a different income, but outcome, should I say. But God holds each individual responsible for their own responses to what goes on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Did my parents always get it right? Absolutely not. The age of four, they had a divorce. Is that getting it right? Did they handle the divorce right? No. To this day, they still won't talk to each other. And that's probably better off. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now the point is, am I going to be defined by what my parents did? No, absolutely not. Because we're all responsible for our own actions. Can I hear an amen for that? So if you're feeling a weight because of your failures, you're going to have to get past that. And your children can't blame you for something you did 30 years ago. Everyone stands before God on their own. Can I hear an amen for that? Yes, amen. So encourage yourself. So I, I will hammer parenting, but at the same time, I'm not going to leave you under a weight, because that's wrong. Would you agree with that? God didn't leave Samuel under a weight. What Samuel did is, the, what the, the Lord didn't do that to Samuel. What the Lord said is, look, it's the people's fault. And yes, if we parented differently, it would help a lot. I get all that. But people are sinners, and they're going to respond sinfully, and they're going to have to deal with that themselves. The Bible says in verse 7, hearken unto the voice of the people, in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. Samuel, it's not your fault. I'm not blaming you. They have rejected who? Me. Me. Brethren, sometimes God, sometimes people are looking for a reason to reject God. And you just happen to be the scapegoat. You know, again, I'm using the football illustration, so I won't have to use one in the main service. But J.D. Sancho has gone to work to, to play for, I think, Borussia Dortmund again. 
And uh, he couldn't do anything for Man United. I think Man United is, uh, is toxic there. The whole environment is toxic over there. So he leaves Man United. Every time a player leaves then, he goes somewhere else, he plays well. And the first thing he does is come out off the bench, doesn't assist, and, uh, and they score a goal. And uh, the thing is, what's that got to do with this? I can't remember. But there's a reason. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I, I had a reason. The environment he was in. The environment that, that they gave. Oh, yeah. Looking for an excuse, you know? Uh, there, there's always people looking for an excuse. And, and you know, the, the, I don't know, the, the, there was a reason for that. I, I lost the thing. Mary, please help me. <laughs> the point is, right? People are looking for an excuse. They're looking for an excuse to, to reject the Lord. And don't let you be that excuse that they give you, that they, they make. And don't allow them to. Don't say, you know, and if they say to you, let's say I'm using parental again, they say, 30 years ago you did this, or 20 years ago you did this. You just look at them and say, that was 20 years ago. And, and none of us, you know, sometimes parents will spank their children and, and, uh, when the child didn't do anything wrong. And like, I'm sorry when we did that, but it's, I'm not going to lose sleep over it because I probably missed something that they did. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? That's life. Life isn't always fair. Yeah, you say, sorry about that, but then we all move on because life isn't always fair. And, and the thing is, we can't have people feeling sorry for themselves and blaming you because you weren't the perfect parent. Are you with me here? So Samuel was was told by the Lord, no, the issue, they don't have an issue with you. They're just using you as a scapegoat. Jaden Sancho said he was being used as a scapegoat and he wouldn't apologize to Ten Hag. That was the illustration. So Ten Hag, they got rid of him. But it wasn't him. It was the toxic environment that's going on in Man United. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's the toxic environment that was going on in Israel that, 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 that Samuel was trying to be a godly influence. And brother, can I say this? You can only do so much. To have them. You think if I was a perfect parent, I'd have the perfect children? No. Your children are rascals. Your children are sinners. Now, do your best to raise them and get their hearts. I'm not discounting anything we said beforehand, but everybody has to stand before the Lord on their own. Right? We need to remember that. So let's move on. Um, all right, verse 8 and 9. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. And, and the Lord is saying, Samuel, they're just treating you the way they treat me. Ouch. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, how be it yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So the Lord did not blame Samuel for Israel's rejection. He blamed Israel. The sons might have been crooked, but they were reflecting a crooked nation. Let's look at it from another perspective. If the nation of Israel were godly, maybe the sons would be influenced in such a way to be crooked. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe if there was a culture around Samuel, a supportive culture around Samuel of, of, of let's, yeah, let's be godly. Samuel was the godly one. But not everybody around him was godly. Are you with me here? And maybe if the, you know, there's a, there's a saying in Africa, I think it is, and, and maybe it was back then in Ireland, it, 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 takes, a, um, it takes a society or it takes a, um, a culture, what is it, to raise a family? A village. It takes a village to raise a children. But if, if you had help, I'm not just talking to people from Africa, if you, everybody in here, had help 
from everybody around you to raise your children would not help, wouldn't have, they'd turn out so much better, wouldn't they? And that was what was going on. Samuel probably felt on his own a lot. But I think he probably took it upon himself. Because that's what you do. When you're on fire for God, you, 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 you sort of blame yourself, maybe when you shouldn't blame yourself, for the people around you you're trying to help. Are you with me here? So Samuel didn't raise them to be different to the rest of the, to the, rest of the nation. That would have taken a lot of effort. But that was his personal issue he had to live with. Israel for decades had the word and they had a godly example set before them. That was Samuel. But they didn't want it. And for that they were accountable and they couldn't blame Samuel's sons. Right? They couldn't blame Samuel's sons. So, the word, verse 9, the Lord said, protest solemnly unto them. The words protest solemnly literally mean repeat, repeat. God didn't want Samuel to get frustrated with Israel because of their bad choices. That was between them and God. Samuel was not a law enforcement officer. Parents, sometimes we feel like law enforcement officers, don't we? You can't make your children obey. Because obedience is a heart issue. But you can repeat, and you can repeat, and, and you can lay out consequences. If you don't repeat, if you don't obey, this, these are the consequences. But obedience is a heart issue, isn't it? And children will only obey when they want to do so from the heart. And sometimes it takes a lot of discipline. I get that. But it's repeat, repeat, repeat. Training, training, training. And that's what Samuel had to do with the nation. Repeat, repeat. He was a prophet. His job was to repeat and repeat the consequences of their decisions. That's it. And as a pastor, that's not my job. I, I can't. You'd love to make people do the right thing. If You know the way there's a song? Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a song we sing. and, and maybe, am, am I saying it wrong? Lord, make me serve. Lord, make me follow. Is that how it goes? And, 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 they're, yeah, they're, and, and uh, sometimes we as Christians want God to make us do the right thing. You with me here? And you just not, see, at least I know you're with me. You want God to make you do the right thing. And pastors do the same thing. We want to make people do the right thing. But you can't. God's not going to make you do the right thing. And I can't make anyone else do the right thing. All I can do is repeat, repeat, repeat the same thing again and again. You know what I'm saying? Same way you do with your children. In the same way that, that, that God does with us. Do you ever notice that the Bible repeats itself again and again as you read through? Oh, I've read that before. Oh, I've read that before. Why do we need all that repetition? We just do. So that's what, that's what we do as parents. It's called being human. And eventually, with enough repeating, it finally sinks in. Sinks in. So Solomon lead protest, protest has the underlying meaning of explaining why their decision is wrong. They wanted a monarchy to replace the theocracy. And that was the issue, okay? They didn't want God to rule over them. They wanted to be like everybody else. The leopard does not change its spots, neither did or would Israel change from being stubborn, obstinate, and unfaithful to the Lord. That was unfortunate for them. So now Samuel would have to prepare them for the next phase in their history. And, and I'd imagine Samuel would rather not have had that position. Now, here's a question. Why was it wrong for them to ask for a king if it was prophesied in the Torah? The Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, okay? I think it was in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. The Bible uh, prophesies that Israel would have a king and how they were to, what, what the king was to be like. If Deuteronomy speaks about a king, why was it wrong for Israel to look for a king? 
What's the short answer out there? Because there's one commitment from their own timing. Right? Number one, they want it within their own timing. What else? It's prophesied in scripture. Why, 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 why was it wrong for them to look for one another? I think God wants them to be on their with their children. Right. And then they they don't decide their children. They didn't want to be That's exactly right. You said two things. They didn't want to be under the Lord, under the Lord, that's number one. That's a theocracy. They didn't want, you see, Israel is always a theocracy. It's meant to be always under God. Even with a king, they're meant to be under God. You with me here? So number one, they didn't want to be under God. But the second thing was that they want to be like everybody else. Those are two different things. They're not the same thing. They didn't want to be under the Lord, but they wanted to be like all the pagan nations around them. What's wrong with being like all the pagan nations around them? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with Israel wanting to be like everybody else around them? And the other nations serve false gods. They, okay, number one, they serve for, for false gods. They're idolatrous. That's one reason. Why else? Israel is a chosen nation. Right! They're chosen. They're a royal priesthood. They're a kingdom of priests. They're holy unto the Lord. Brethren, there's a correlation here. Do you see it? God does not want us to try and be like everybody else. Oh, I just want to have this because everybody else has it. Oh, I just want this standard of living or this education. I'm against education. I'm not saying I'm against it, of course. But I want this house. I want this car. I want to have this whatever. Why? Because everybody else has it. I want to be involved in this because everybody else. That's the wrong reason. Okay? Things in and of themselves are not wrong if our motives are correct. Do you understand what I'm saying? It should never be so I can be like everybody else. God does not want us to keep up with the Joneses or up with Joe Bloggs or whoever else it is. God doesn't want to keep up with people like that. God wants us to walk with him as a holy people. Does that make sense? And brethren, we have to keep adjusting ourselves and keep examining ourselves and saying, am I walking with God? Am I walking with God? Is my motive correct? Now, brethren, that's a lifelong thing. We have to keep examining ourselves. Would you agree with that? Okay. So, let's talk very quickly about the, the, the traits of, of, the, uh, of the king. Look at verse 10 to 18. I'm going to quickly go through this and then we close. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10 to 18. It says here, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people and asked him of, that asked him of a king, asked of him a king, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint them captains over thousands, captains over fifties, and will set them to, to ear his ground, to reap his harvest, to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. So he was going to be dominant over them. The king would not be a servant. God wants us to serve one another, but they wanted a king who was going to dominate them. Wrong thing. Verse 13, And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers, and he will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He's going to oppress you for personal gain. 
Verse 15, and he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyard and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your maidservants and your men servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. God requires a tithe. 10% is for the Lord. But they weren't happy for the Lord to rule over them. So God says, okay, well, then the, then, then the pagan king is going to, or not the pagan king, but the... Uh, Unrighteous king, how do I word this? The oppressive king will take your 10%. I'd rather give the 10% to the Lord than it go to a, something that wasn't godly. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen. Let the Lord have his time. Don't be giving it to somebody else. Okay? And that, and that was going on. So they would be taxed, and, and, and the king would use his resources to fund his own lifestyle. And he would upset them because of the hardness and the hardship he places on the verse 18. <laughs> And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And what does it say in verse 18? The Lord what? The Lord will not hear you. Because they crossed the line, there be no going back. God is a God of grace, but God, grace has its limits. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is not waiting there First of all, you know, it's like, a, I always thought this illustration was funny when I saw Peter do one day. He says, when you're taking a child, teaching a child how to walk, when the child falls over, you know, whack, 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 get up again, you know? <laughs> That's just my sick sense of humor. But the point is, the Lord doesn't do that with us. When we're learning to walk and we slip up, he doesn't, he doesn't lay into us, does he? He's gracious. But the point I'm trying to make is, but when you see a, 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 a one-year-old learn to walk, you're patient. But when you see a 20-year-old who's still not learning to walk yet, be, not because they're not able, but because they don't want to, there's a problem here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm using that to illustrate this. God's grace doesn't last forever. God resists the proud when he gives grace to the... So we never humble actually now. Unfortunately for Israel, they didn't have that, uh, that, that uh, humility and that right response to God's grace. And so their decision would be irreversible. So the lesson for today is, let's be like Samuel. Let's not be like Israel. Samuel walked in the grace of God. He's a man of God. He is going to be one of those people that's really very close to the throne of God. I really believe that. He's a man of God. The Bible exalts him as a man of God. He's our example, not Israel. <coughs> let's be like Samuel. Let's, let's enjoy the grace of God. Let's respond humbly to the grace of God. Let's not be like Israel who despise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.